In June of 2022, Dr. Bill Petrie spoke at a conference in Cortland, Ohio. He spoke about the cycles of history and how these cycles are impacting America today. Today's Differing Things podcast is that very lecture. We trust you will find this lecture to be truly eye-opening. I very rarely ever, and, and Rick Schmidt can tell you, I very, er, very rarely ever really go through a topic I've talked about and redo a topic. But I really feel, much like our dear brother Rick said last night, time is getting very short in this country for us to do some things. And I really believe that what I have to say today is going to maybe give you an understanding on why we feel this way. Um, I, I think it's important for us to grasp the magnitude of some of the shifting that we have seen in our country in recent days. And today I want to talk about why some of those things are occurring. And tomorrow I want to talk about the Apostle Paul's solution for us to these issues. So I want to begin here with a very familiar passage, and since it's early in the morning, maybe I'll, I'll pick on a couple people where they can read a passage. If somebody could take Genesis chapter 1-1 for me, and if somebody else could take Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. I'll take 21, verse 1. Okay. Somebody want to take Genesis 1? Okay, Cindy. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay. In Genesis 1, 1, we read, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created, and what did he create? The heaven and the earth. There was a start point for what God is doing. Revelation 21.1. And I perceived a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth pass away, and the sea is no more. In Revelation 21.1, we read that that heaven and that earth that God created in Genesis 1.1 is passing away. In other words, we have a movement from Scripture that's in a linear movement. It's going from one point, a beginning point, to an end point. So we see that the Bible is presenting to us time in a linear fashion. But we have to understand in Genesis 3, when sin entered the equation, it's not linear as in a straight line running this way. It's linear in a downward slope. It's not things getting better, it's things continually growing worse till you get to that end point. Okay? And it's not necessarily a rapid descent, it's just a gradual downward decline in a linear fashion from that starting point to that ending point. But we also need to understand that the scriptures present time in a different way as well. I'm going to give you a verse that I don't have on the list. 
But if somebody would take Genesis 8.22. Genesis 8.22. So you're going to keep you awake by having to turn to these passages. And I can sit back and let you read. <laughs> okay, thanks, Matt. Genesis 8.22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. Okay, in this verse, what we see is that as long as the earth is remaining, we have different seasons, right? You have spring, summer, fall, winter. And over and over again, spring, summer, fall, winter, repeat. And it's a continual cycle. Over and over again, we see that cycle. Now, if you go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and there's a famous song that was um, made from this passage back in the 60s, I believe. Um, we had fun with it in South Carolina where we're sitting it by the campfire. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you want to turn there. And again, this is a passage I think most of us are quite familiar with. But in Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under the heaven. Now the word season here is the Hebrew word zimon, and it literally means a season, a, a time, a, a cycle, if you will. There is a cycle. There is a season. And it, if you follow it, there is a season and a time. In other words, it's a cycle, but it comes back. It goes around. And as he continues, it says that there's a time to be born and a time to die. When we think of humanity, right, we all begin with birth, and we all meet the ultimate end at death, right? But this is a cycle that every person goes through. So we have this idea of seasons and of cycles. Every season to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And he goes through these things. <clears throat> I'm not going to go there, but if you went to Leviticus chapter 3, for instance, Moses lays out for the nation of Israel its festival cycle. And it repeats every year, right? Every year they would do the same cycle. And Hebrews alludes to it, for instance, in chapter 10, when, when the Lord... Jesus Christ is being referenced, and it says, well, you know, every year there's a remembrance of sin when they would go and do those sacrifices, right? And as they're doing those sacrifices, they could never take away sin, because there was always a consciousness of it. And every year they'd come back and do the same thing all over again. And then they'd do it again the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and so on. There's a cycle. So you have a linear movement of time in this downward slope, but in this linear movement of time, you have cycles within it. Did they lose anybody yet? Understandable? 
Good. Go with me to Judges chapter 2. Now, if any of you have ever read the book of Judges, it's a very depressing book. <laughs> Some of the most horrific things you're going to read in Scripture occur in this book. But let's look at the book of Judges for a second. And uh, we're going to share some of the reading here. I'll start with verse 10. And I want to go down through verse 19. And uh, maybe, maybe, Phil, you and I could maybe alternate the reading on verses. Okay. Okay. I'll start here in verse 10. And also... All that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. <laughs> Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken to unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented, there's an interesting word, it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers and following other gods to serve them, and to bow down unto them, they cease not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Now it's interesting, in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 19, we have a cycle that the nation follows all through the entire book. And all you have to do is just read the book, and you're going to see this cycle continually repeats. And I have the chart here for you. It begins where they're in salvation and rest. There's a time of peace and tranquility within the nation. But then apostasy comes. And they begin to seek these other gods, which results in their being oppressed by the Gentile nations around about them which then leads to their cry for deliverance when God raises up another judge for them and produces salvation and rest. That's the book of Judges. 
over and over and over. You have how many judges in the book of Judges? More than one. <laughs> I like that answer. Anyone know? Twelve. Kind of interesting number, isn't it? Yeah. Right? So you have this cycle repeated 12 times, and when it ceases to be repeated, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay? But you have this cycles of history <coughs> continually repeating for Israel. Now, it may vary slightly in length, and the circumstances are slightly different, but the end result is always salvation and rest, apostasy, oppression, cry for deliverance. But then, Scripture also talks a lot about something we typically don't think about. And I'm going to submit to you that this is a really important thing if we can grasp and get our heads around it, because I believe this begins to get at the root of some of the things that we're seeing today. <clears throat> Scripture talks about the idea of generations. In the book of Job, if you want to turn there, Job chapter 8, Job chapter 8. Job here mentions something. And he, he uses a word here. In Job 8, verse 8. For I inquire, for inquire I pray thee of the former age. Now that word in the King James Bible is translated 133 times as the word generation. Here it's translated age. By the way, it's the only time the King James renders it as age. A little bit inconsistency on the rendering there. But for I inquire, I pray thee of the former generation, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. Job, it, it, it's interesting here, you have a reference where it's talking about the former generation and searching their fathers of that. So he's going back two generations. The former generation and the one before that, which is their fathers, and he himself, the speaker, would be in the third generation. Now, the word generation is used in both a good sense and a negative sense in Scripture. This idea of generations. Let's talk about a good sense, for instance. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 10, verse 30, if somebody would like to grab that, and I'll have somebody else grab 2 Kings 15, 12. Maybe, Ted, could you grab 2 Kings 15, 12? Yeah. And somebody who hasn't read, maybe 2 Kings 10, 30. 
I got 2 Kings 10.30. Thank you. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because you have done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and is done unto the house of Ahab, according to all that was in mine heart, your children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. This was the word of the Lord, which he spake unto Jehu, saying, Thy sons shall sit on the throne of Israel unto the fourth generation, and so it came to pass. Now here, Jehu did what the Lord wanted him to do, right? And the Lord rewards him. Now how long is this reward? Four generations. Four generations. It's to the fourth generation. So it's interesting, in 10, 2 Kings 10, Yahweh rewards Jehu, and in 2 Kings chapter 15, we see that God was true to his word. At the end of that fourth generation, it's recorded that God had kept his word to Jehu, and it lasted for four generations. This is also used in a negative sense. And in a negative sense, I'm just going to read a couple of passages. In Genesis 15, Genesis 15 here, we read the following. And uh, the page is falling out of my Bible. And the fourth generation of descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So how long, how many generations before that judgment can come? Fourth generation. The fourth generation. Somebody want to take Exodus 20 and verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For the Lord thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate thee. Now it's interesting. How long does he visit the iniquity of the fathers? To the third and fourth generation. Again, that idea of the fourth generation. The other passages I have in Exodus 34 mentions the fourth generation again. I want to go to the Numbers passage. Numbers, the book of Numbers. And I want to look here at verse, chapter 14 and verse 18. Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Again, God is visiting the iniquities for the third and the fourth generation. Why? Because he will not clear the guilty until that point. Now, turn the page. This idea of four generations is a recurrent theme through Scripture. You have four generations from Enoch to Noah. Okay, and I gave the passages so you can look them up. Israel is formed in four generations. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, four generations. The United Kingdom of Israel only lasted four generations. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam. Now, yes, David's not Saul's son, but he's a younger generation. So four generations. <clears throat> and I'm going to submit to you that in this linear time that we see, that's on this downward slope, cycles are running in increments of four generation cycles. And I want to talk a little bit here about current American history. And when we talk about current American history, I want to talk about it in the sense of generations. This cycle that we are in actually begins with the baby boomers being born. Okay, and you'll see that on your chart here. We call that a spring or a high. And my guess is that the overwhelming majority of people in the room here are in this generation, born sometime between the years of 1946 and 1963. Now, by the way, a generation is going to be approximately 20 to 25 years. Now, I'm taking that from the fact of how God defined generations when Israel was in the wilderness and had refused to go into the land after he had sent out the spies, Joshua and Caleb. And he had told Moses, well, you're not going to go in now. You're going to wander around out here. And only those of the age of 20 and under who had no part in the decision-making, will actually go in. So that younger generation from birth to 20 years of age was the one that actually got to go in, but that's a generation. Now, the baby boomers were born in what we would call a high point of American history. America was at the zenith of its power and industrial might. It was in, again, the 1940s, 6 to 1963. We call that a high. It's a high point in the cycle. And oftentimes in Scripture, and I, I didn't run these verses because I think we're all familiar with the analogy, that oftentimes we refer to the spring of someone's life as their youth, Right? In the summer, they're an adult, and they're at the pinnacle of their physical prowess. And in the fall, okay, their, their prowess might not be quite what it was, but they're, the lead, they're, they're, they're 
They're solid citizens. They're set in their careers. They're, they're professional business people. And then in the zenith of their career is the winter, right? They're older, but they're in places of authority. They can rule, and, and they're leaders. For instance, our current president, a baby boomer, right? The president before him, a baby boomer. The president before him, a baby boomer. Okay? So when, when you start looking at these things, it, it, it's all making some sense in that regard. So the high point is when things are really good. A crisis has been resolved. Remember that book of Judges? You had that crisis point when they cry out for deliverance. They're brought to a point where things have to be resolved. And when things have to be resolved, it's either going to be resolved in a positive way or in a negative way. But either way, there's resolution. Whether good or bad. Whether to the benefit of the people or to their detriment. So resolution comes, and the resolution brings stability. And the stability is the high point. Now Jehu brought stability for Israel. Not that he was good, because <laughs> he wasn't. But it brought stability. You go from that high point to the next generation being born. That generation would be born in what's called the summer. And in American history, this would be what we call Generation X. And Generation X are those born between 1964 and 1984. But this is a time frame that we'll call an awakening. The baby boomers who have come out of childhood are becoming adults. And they have their own way of thinking. And their own way of thinking sometimes clashes with what's in charge. What was in charge at this time would be the GI generation. And there's a clash. And in that clash, there's a difference of how they see society should go. There becomes differences, and we call those things generational differences. In the 1960s, they created a phrase, and it sounded cute, the generation gap. That's not a new thing, folks. That's existed everywhere in history between, you, you want to see a generation gap, take a teenager who's trying to assert their independence and a parent who's not so quick to relinquish their independence and find out what a generational gap is, <laughs> right? Well, everyone's doing it. Well, you're not everyone. 
You ever have those discussions with somebody or ever been part of one? Right? So you, you have these things. It's, a, it's a, a different way of doing things. There's a value system. But as the world changes, new technologies develop. As new technologies develop, new ways of doing things come. New, new information is given to individual. People begin to decipher it differently. Education systems change. The way we teach information changes. In, in the media changes and it presents things in a different way than maybe how it had presented it before. And all of this creates a generational strain and a generational strain between these conflicting views creates what we'll call an awakening period and a clash of ideas, a clash of how to do things. And when that clash ensues, civil unrest occurs. If I say the 1960s, what's the first thing somebody thinks about? Hippies. Hippies. <laughs> right? That's that's the baby boomers, the baby boomers gift <laughs> to, to the 20th century, right? Hippies. The hippies had a philosophy. What was some of their philosophies? Peace, right? Yeah. Make love, not war. Promiscuity. Rabid feminism. Right? These were all things that began in the 60s. Now, you had shades of it earlier, but it really mushroomed that. You had conflict over the Vietnam War, right? You had race riots. You had the passage of the most sweeping social reform bill in history. <clears throat> Not for a good thing, by the way. And all these things were transpiring in the 60s as there's this clash of values a clash of where to take society. And in that generation, Generation X was born. But the baby boomers were the ones that instigated the clash. The hippies were the boomers. Then you have the fall. And in the fall, you have an unraveling. This is, where, this is where systems that have been set up by a society begin to come apart. And they slowly break down. In the United States, one such system was the news media. And what happens is the news media becomes less about reporting facts and more about reporting information that 
gives you a certain perspective. It goes more from just reporting what happened to more on interpreting it for you. That's one system that begins to come apart. Our political system begins to come apart. But it's still held together because it's still that prior group of individuals that are still in control. And they, they're holding it together, but it's now slowly being eroded away from that newer generation coming in to try to take it apart. I think of King Rehoboam when he's making a decision, how's my kingship going to start? And he gets together his advisors, remember? And he goes, I'm going to outdo my father. And he heats the advice of the younger generation and not the older. And it resulted in a total ripping a part of the fabric of the society that ensues in a civil war. It's what happens. Well, that's what's happening in this time frame. In this time frame of the unraveling during the fall season, the millennials are born. The millennials are from 1984 to 2005. Okay. That would be that generation. In that generation, your baby boomers are the ones that are running the businesses. They're the ones now with the, the influence, so to speak. Your Generation X is entering into adulthood. Then you go into the winter where all of it comes to a head. It has to be resolved one way or another. Which way will our society go? Will it cling to the values of the prior cycle? Or will it discard those values and implement all new values? Or will it create some hybrid system? That's the crisis. And that's the winter. And in the winter season, the boomers are the leaders. They're the ones that are in charge. Generation X would be the ones running the businesses and the corporations and all those things. The millennials are really the foot soldiers to it. In gen, the Generation uh, Y or Z, Generation Z, are those who are being born in this time frame. Now let me talk about this in a different way. In the American history, we've had a number of awakenings for that summer period where the values begin to clash. We've had a number of those in our history. And I, I put some of those down. And I'm going to start from the oldest that I have on the list. The first one was when our country um, really began to be settled, the Puritan awakening. 
the Puritans are coming to America. What, what, what was the main reason why they were coming to America? Religious freedom. Religious, right? They're coming here because they're at religious odds with the old order of Europe. So they're coming to America. Can't, I, I can't help but think of that song by Neil Diamond, right? Come to America. <laughs> right? So, so the pilgrims come to America for a religious reason, and they try to implement some of their religious standards. Then you had the Great Awakening. That would be the next awakening that would come. And it would be with guys like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. The Great Awakening, um, you know, everybody knows Jonathan Edwards, right? Uh, he, he did the classic sermon, The Sinner in the Hands of an Angry God. Then you had the, what's called the Transcendental Awakening with Charles Finney. Then you had the Third Great Awakening. This is one in the area where I'm from that was a big one because Billy Sunday was a very big um, figure in the Buffalo area. And in fact, if you're ever in the Buffalo area, the city or the town of West Seneca, uh, there's a big plaza where he used to have his revival meetings. Um, the Southgate Plaza was actually the site of where all of his revivals used to take place, that area. And, and there was this a revival. But the interesting thing to note in all of these American revivals is it was differences of how to understand the scriptures and how do we understand God. They were centered on God. They were centered on the scriptures. And you would have sharp theological debates, sharp doctrinal debates. And you would have people where they would be conversing about the word of God. And, and their actions would be based off of how they're interpreting the word of God and what that interpretation of the word of God means for society. It's not like society was trying to divorce itself from God. It was like, how is it that we should understand God so we can be in alignment with God? This was the American experience. And this was the generational differences that drove our nation. But then we come to the 1960s. And in the 1960s, I'm sorry, I'm going a little long. Just grant me. In the 1960s, we have what's called the Conscious Revolution. This is the first and only awakening in American history that has divorced itself from God. It is based on secularism and humanism and evolution and the idea that humanity can attain by its own merits greatness. We can do whatever we set our heart to do. Sound familiar? Like the Tower of Babel kind of familiar? This was the Great Awakening. The influence of the crisis from the previous era of World War II 
And the Great Depression led to this point where people began to doubt their faith. And that doubting of faith creates a secularism to fill the void. And that void now begins to be filled. Now go with me, if you will, to the next page, and I'll make this brief, and we'll touch on more of it tomorrow. There's also been different crisis points in the American experience in the winters. The first big one was the Spanish Armada crisis back in England. That impacts us because it allowed England to become the great naval power of the world and have free reign coming into North America. Then you have the glorious revolution in England of 1675 to 1704, which begins to put more emphasis on on representation and less on king's rights. Then you have in America, the American Revolution. The next crisis point would be the Civil War. And I've touched on the Great Depression and World War II would be the next one. And if you follow that, it's almost 80 years to the day from each of these points. The next crisis, if you follow the chronology, would take place somewhere between 2018 and 2025. We're in that time frame, folks. And I want to submit to you really briefly what you have, I believe, is a crisis that has ensued. And I believe the crisis kicked off with COVID. And I believe that this crisis with COVID allowed certain things to begin to be implemented. It escalated the evil that was in place. Now I want to end on this note, and we'll pick up with this idea tomorrow. I want to end on this note. This crisis that's being resolved, the people who are in power to do the resolution of it are the ones who gave us the humanistic awakening. Think about that. Generation Z that is being born now, the fourth generation of this cycle, will be the very first generation to be born where the leaders that are resolving the crisis are devoid of God and are trying to divorce themselves from the idea of God. Now think where that takes society. People, we are at a real crossroads. 
You know why our country is so sharply divided? It is sharply divided because there is a clash of these generational ideas. The prior idea that started this cycle and the idea that wants to take over and be in control for the next cycle. And our society is going to go one way or the other. And the foot soldiers, the ones who are doing all the backbreaking work, so to speak, <laughs> to bring resolution is the millennial generation. Just think about the ramifications of what I've just said. And I'm going to give you a verse to read if somebody could take for me 2 Timothy 3 and somebody else take Judges 21. Judges 21 will read first. Judges 21, 25. Could you read that though? Judges 21, 25. Yeah. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. After the cycles, he had those 12 judges. Israel's resolution at the end of the book of Judges was to reject what God was doing. Secularism reigns, and every man does what is right in his own eyes. Just read the last chapter, couple of chapters of Judges, and you will cringe on what they thought was right. It's blood curdling what you read in those chapters. 2 Timothy 3, and if somebody could just read a, a, a couple, maybe the first three verses there. I got it. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. I want you to take what those words just said and think about what you're seeing on the news today. Did the Apostle Paul hit the nail on the head? Are people today without natural affection? Isn't that one of the great debates in our society right now? What constitutes a male? What constitutes a female? I mean, this sounds ridiculous, right? But this is the clash of ideas. This is the crisis point, folks. When Brother Rick stood here last night and said, we may not have a lot of time to be doing this. Do you know why there's laws right now? 501c3 laws. You know why they exist? You know why? So the government can tell you what you can say and cannot say in a setting like this. You know why they want you to be filing all those things with the IRS, 
So they can look and say, oh, this person supports this organization. We don't like what this organization says. The Patriot Act dictates that then we can deem them terrorism. We can freeze all the assets of the organization, and we can freeze yours too because you're a terrorist. It's not la-la land, folks. This is real, and it's laws on our books. You know why Christianity is under such attack? Because it's the values of the prior generation. It's the values that they're in contrast with. This is the clash we're involved with, folks. And we needn't be surprised because the Apostle Paul said this would occur. Now, having said that, I don't believe that it means the rapture is imminent and going to happen instantaneously in a moment. I believe there's a lot of things that have to transpire before that can happen. But having said all of that, all of these things are escalating and the United States is becoming more and more and more irrelevant as Christianity becomes more and more irrelevant as there's this clash to see what will prevail in our country. This is where we are. This is why we do these things. This is why I can tell you I will be at events like this if I have to be dragged here and propped up to talk to you because we do not have the time to waste. We're in the crisis. And it's dire. And this society is sick. And it is falling apart. And we need, we need to be strong. And we need each other to be firm. This, this, is our last stand, folks. I believe that with my whole heart. <clears throat> Sorry about that. But I firmly believe this. I believe this to be the most pivotal point in this country's history. And I believe it to be the pivotal point in all of our lives. That's how strongly I feel. So on that note, um, We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.